We're gonna stay here all night if we have to, so let's get started. It's time, America, for the number one conservative common sense podcast that's calling out all the social justice, political correctness crap, and putting it on the run. Do you think you can handle it? So hop in and buckle up and get ready to ride with two straight-shooting, tell-it-like-it-is ex-street cops. And they know how to party with few inhibitions. As they give the special interest and weak-kneed politicians a swift kick in the ass. Wow, is that legal? With some good old-fashioned common sense. Bring it on, baby. It's Cop Talk USA <laughs> with your hosts, Marillo and French. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Cop Talk USA. I'm here with my friend and companion, David Marillo. Hey, Ro- Roger, how are you doing? I'm doing really good. I had a really good day. You look good, as good as old guys can look. You and yes, I are old, you know. We're old. We're just, just like cut down on the alcohol a little yeah, bit. You cut know, back away, push away from the dinner plate. That's you know, right. Rest know. a little bit. Take yeah, it easy. Yeah. <laughs> that's life for us now. You, would, you, know? you, would, you had some fun this weekend, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I went to well, a good buddy of mine, Ray Gallardo. He was a guest here yep, a while yep, back. Yep. His daughter had a belated wedding reception because of COVID. She got married last year, but they had the big you know, reception, uh, this yeah. weekend, I went up there, beautiful. Uh, she's a beautiful young lady, great husband. Just everything was picture perfect. Got back to my hotel room and, uh, was going to go back to the reception. And I came down with the stomach flu, the green monster guy. Oh, uh, and I'll tell you what, I'm fully recovered now, but I'm weak and I, my back sore. So the wife, okay. My, she, she get it too. Well, she's got a little bit of it, but she's doing better than me. It's just, we got it from the grandkids. That's one of the perils of having 11 grandkids and you babysit a lot oh yeah they yeah. bring their diseases over well they, they go to that they go to that daycare it, it's a it's a it's like a, a cesspool it, over it is it, it's, it's, it's like a, yeah a bad scientist yeah. they just come home with some something and, yeah all sorts um, of fungus and everything i make my uh, grandkids they gotta you know clarify they have to clear a have a clearance to go to have a test before they go <laughs> not a bad idea no i i uh, i did a little you know my cyclones took it a hit this weekend in football i went to the basketball game friday night and uh was pleasantly surprised i know you're not a big basketball guy but they showed more hustle more energy than i've seen in Good. three years up there so I, i'm kind of excited what's, about that. what's wrong with them cyclones on the football side of things they're, they're back to this hot cold stuff i don't know if they were overhyped or if they're just underachievers, or what happened. Uh, last year during COVID was a different kind of year, and for some teams it was really bad, and for teams like the Cyclones, I think it was really good. I just think that uh, they uh, – I wish they wouldn't have been ranked early in the season. That's all I can say because – They're they're still very good, and I've become a Cyclones fan. But just, just a little disappointing, they, you know. they got they got to stop this hot, cold cycle because that's what – that's what really made people kind of shy away from him. But I'll stick with him, Rog. I'll stick yeah, with him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that good. Anybody on the bandwagon can jump off. Go ahead yeah, and jump off. Yeah. And uh, the real fans will stay with them. And they, they understand the goods and bads. We don't, I don't want to fire the coach. No. You know? I mean, he's, he's a good man. And, I tell, and I, the athletic director, I'll tell he's you a friend of mine. I'll tell you who's uh, sweating right now is the boys down in Texas. They lost to Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man! Oh, and everybody's chanting the SEC, and they're all uh-huh. on them. And so, there's a lot of chanting going on in stadiums. Have you heard that? This, oh it's, yeah, it's a version of "Let's Go Brandon." Oh, it's, yeah. it's not exactly that, but I, Joe, I love it. I got to see, uh, tell you something. I saw there's a Florida community down uh, uh, down in Florida. <laughs> Obviously, the sun, the Sunshine State. They went up to New York and set up recruiting stands in right in Times Square. 
and have been recruiting officers out of New York to go down to Florida and work, that. work at this. And they're paying them like $7,000 more to start. They're giving them a $5,000 bonus. Mm -hmm. You know, the officers are saying, look, you know, I can go down there and have a squad car and park it in front of my house, and people appreciate that. Yeah. Up here, yeah. I got to worry about somebody firebombing it. Exactly. Uh, working, And they are actively going after recruit. New York's losing some officers. They're losing a lot of officers. And Chicago's losing a lot of officers. Portland. Any major city that's run by radical left Dems is in trouble right well, now. Well, you know, the, the bottom line, I think the best thing is they know they can go down and work a, for a municipality, and uh, they got their backs. Yeah. New York doesn't. Yeah. Now that now I take, now they've got a new guy coming yeah, on board. Yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic about him. He's a, he's a former police officer. The so. new, mayor, new mayor of New York is mm -hmm. a, an ex-cop, and he said he's going to put uh, plainclothes crime units back on the streets. He's going to do things that try to fix everything Blasio screwed up. And, of course, uh, I kind of chuckled. They had the head of the BLM went after him, said that uh, if you do this, if you put these officers back on the streets, these crime units, buildings are going to burn, blood's going to flow, there's going to be riots and everything. And, and he's actively gone out and said this, and the mayor just said, well, you know, go ahead and do it. We're just going to put you in jail. And it's about time. Did you see the uh, interview between Dan Bongino and a BLM same guy? guy. Oh, same okay. guy. Yeah. I heard he walked off. I didn't Dan see Dan Bongino it, cut him a new one. And the guy, the guy couldn't couldn't sustain debating with Dan Bongino. So he takes his headphones off and leaves, says, well, God bless you. Well, this guy, and well, the same thing, you know, we ask those people to come on here. It's the same type of attitude. They're not going to, when you confront them, they're gone. But this guy in New York that uh, is supposedly the big leader for the BLM folks and who's going to guarantee these rights, he lives in his mom's basement. He's running a scam. He's yeah. He's been caught running scams. Uh, selling He's selling T-shirts. I mean, this talk about the square root of well, zero. I mean, People like that are... Funded by panderers, these elitists who share the same ideology, right. but who have money, who have businesses, who have money. It's even impacted sports teams. Well, you know? I, you know, I think, and we've talked about this, the tide's turned, but, uh, you know, to come tell a, a mayor of New York City, what, the largest city in the country, that you're going you're gonna to threaten him. And, by the way, I think he's got a few police officers over there that uh, you would have something to say about your, your little group of 200 people that are going to— Right and burn stuff. Uh, yeah, you know they got thousands of things are officers. falling apart right now for the radical left. Now we we love our blue dog Dems, right? Love them, love them to pieces. But these radicals, they're they're in a world of hurt right now. You're seeing MSNBC, CNN, their their ratings are lower than whale shit right mm -hmm. now, and they're not going to get any better because they're trying to invoke that same in, or instill that same radical left mindset, and people are sick of it. How's gasoline prices for you, Raj? Oh, I don't know, but I just saw a deal in California. What six, seven bucks a gallon? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. And grocery prices are through the roof. Energy is going through the roof. And we didn't have this these issues with Donald Trump. I know. I know he's talked icky and he hurts your feelings. But life was a hell of a lot cheaper under Donald Trump. Well, it's kind of surprising. And I don't believe all the Democrats are like this, but there's there's a group of them. And they're good people. I would think 98% of people, what we do here isn't Democrat, Republican. We're, we're, it's common sense, we're followed law heavily, and order. We're followed heavily by Democrats. I mean, it's I call law and order. Them, I call them blue dogs, Roger. They're common sense patriots. You know, they're, they're there. We know that. I, I you know, know I've, I had a conversation with a young lady who got on me about the Rittenhouse thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she was she saw that I, I said supported that. I kind of supported him a little bit. You know, I said, I think he's probably going to go, oh, did she light up? I mean, she says, you're being racial. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, 
everybody involved here is white. So I don't know where you're getting the racial piece out of this. And it uh, went on. And, and Gail, I love her to death, but she's a very liberal kind of person. There's a, there's a standard. It, it is the backbone of our judicial system, okay, that people need to remember and understand. Under United States law, our judicial system, you are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law beyond a reasonable doubt. And until that happens, you know, well, nobody's guilty. Well, I got to tell you something. I was impressed with that judge. I don't know if you've watched yeah, him. Yeah, he, he laid He's the a law no-nonsense down. kind of guy, he's and, he, and he's, holding him, he, yeah. he's holding him right to the deal. So anyway, um, let's go into Bob, uh, our fallen officer segment. Okay, Dave, we're going to go through this. Once again, we lost some officers over the last week. Detective Michael Dion of the Chippo, Chippy Police Department, Massachusetts. I think I'm saying that right. He suffered a fatal heart attack and going to a traffic assignment. He was driving down the road and passed away. Um, Lieutenant Chad Brackman, he was killed by a vehicle directing traffic near an intersection in Scottsdale, Arizona. Deputy Sheriff Luina Nicole Marshall, she passed away of gunshot wounds. That happened... Uh, on November 8th, uh, she was a, went to a domestic dispute, and a woman shot her, and uh, she died three days later. Really tragic. We had Officer Michael Chandler. This happened November 13th. Uh, he was uh, murdered, I'll say that, uh, while doing a welfare check at a vacant home, 2500 block over in uh, Virginia, uh, Big Stone Gap, Virginia. Uh, police Officer Jason Belton and uh, Gary Tarcone. Uh, both passed away of COVID-19. And uh, we didn't get all the COVID-19 guys this week, but um, there was a number of them. And, uh, but these are the ones we got. And if, if we were going to be detailed to the nth degree, we could spend hours talking about all the officers each and every week who were injured. Yeah, it's, they end up, end up you know, going on pension or being gone from work for a long time, recovering from shoulders, backs, neck injuries, you name it. I hate it with a passion, reading those. But I think we owe it to them and. uh their families, and, and I know today's a big big show day for us, and we haven't talked about that, so we'll kind of go into that for a minute. I just want our listeners to know we've got a great show today. We've got Michael Moody coming on the show, He'll the singing policeman. Yeah. We've got uh, Laura Ronan. We do. From the uh, Polk County Attorney's Office. She's running for uh, the— Polk uh, County Attorney. Polk County Attorney. Mm-hmm. That's right. Two great people. we got a lot of—going to have some fun today. I also want to give some shout-outs. Gregory Kurspansky. You know Greg? Greg Sapansky. Yeah, I graduated with him. High school. There you go. He was on there. Alan Cardi, Carl, Carla McIntosh, Brian Little, Robin Conklin, Eric Wilson, Nick Fry, Curtis Milton, Jim Piazza. You mm-hmm. know Jim? Mm-hmm. He's an old retired uh, a good friend of mine. Yeah. Great guy. He uh, put some hours down in that courthouse. Oh, yeah. Had a lot of guys. Charles Oliver. Now, Charles is a guy that I do battle with on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do it over Republican, Democrat stuff, mm-hmm. but he's a law and order guy. Yeah. And he supports us. He does yeah. our Most of them are. I love Most him. He's an old are. retired truck driver. I yeah. know him from that. Yep. Uh, and my last but not least, my friend Sean Elliott from uh, Laser. So anyway, like him, he's retired from there. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just want to go through this real quick. Everybody knows they, how to contact us. Do our Facebook, yep. internet, you know, coptalkusa.com. Check us out. Um, you'll do that. Yep. Uh, we are very honored today to have one of the candidates running for Polk County Attorney next year in Ms. Laura Roan. I will let her introduce herself and talk a little bit about her background and education. Laura, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Dave. I'm really glad to be here today. Thank you well, both. Well, welcome. Welcome. Yes, That's good to say. have you. So uh, 
Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm the youngest of six kids from a big Irish Catholic family, lifelong Democrat. So you there can you welcome me to the show. Absolutely. Hey, I've lived. Don't uh, discriminate. <laughs> I've lived here in in Des Moines, in Polk County, for uh, many many years. Uh, live in the city of Des Moines. I'm a mother of a fourteen, almost fourteen year old son, and I am a prosecutor, career prosecutor, currently. As of February of this year, I'm with the Polk County Attorney's Office. I'm in the civil division. So I help out the county medical examiner, the jail, the sheriff. So again, still around law enforcement and some of those areas I'm Mm -hmm. real familiar with. Mm -hmm. Are the the courts all back up to speed? They are. With COVID? Everybody's wide open now. And are the delays still there? Are they kind of have that all subsided now? I think they're playing... Fairly great catch up, but mm-hmm. that's really taken all the stakeholders to come together in Polk County in the system mm-hmm. to make sure that the trials are up and running. They try a lot of cases in Polk County, yeah. and most everything is held in person. A lot of the pretrial hearings and some of the um, in criminal and civil court are are still happening uh, by Zoom or other live okay. stream. Okay, are you? Uh, and what made you decide for to run? For- well, I got to tell you why I decided to run. After all the years that I've been working um, as a criminal prosecutor at the county level, and then uh, over 20 years for Attorney General Tom Miller, I served wow, as an area guy. prosecutor. Love Tom. From all around the state, prosecuting cases, crimes of violence, a lot of homicides, sexual assaults. Uh, then I spent the last two years at the U.S. Attorney's Office oh. prosecuting fugitive sex offender cases, hands-on child pornography cases, a uh, few death cases, drug mm. deliveries resulting in death where there were aggravated circumstances, as well as investigating and assisting in the indictment of a hate crime. Man, from Roger, I'm liking her more and more. Well, you know, She certainly uh, seems to have the qualifications oh, there. Oh, my, yeah. But I will tell you one thing. Roger, about um, having all that experience. You asked me why I decided to run. Right. All that experience really doesn't matter much when you think about it, right, Dave? Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if I can't put it to some sort of use, and I'll tell you what spurred me on, as opposed to deciding to just uh, finish out my years and, and retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be my, my niece, who was 19. She, she died of an uh, opioid overdose. And um, about three years ago, and I got to see her just a few years before she died. Hmm. And I've thought about all the cases where I tried, a lot of those murder trials, where um, the victim maybe uh, was impaired by alcohol or drugs at the time of death. And we see this over and over again in uh, the violent incidents that uh, the individuals are using or abusing controlled substances, Mm -hmm. sometimes alcohol. And she had several stints in treatment, and she was not able to ultimately beat her addiction. When I think about her, Stella, I do this in her memory because I'm not going to take the easy road. I'm going to fight to make sure that we can do more to help everybody in our in our county. And sometimes that means not necessarily just for everybody locking them up and throwing away the key. I'm concerned about those families that maybe have persons that have addiction issues and uh, to what extent they end up in the justice system if they haven't harmed others or committed some level of violence and they have um, opportunities that we can help them uh, get to and prevent 
further crimes or their death or somebody else's death. That's that's worth a life taking a chance on. Sometimes one shoe doesn't fit all in this well, case. Well, she's spot on. So much of our criminal element problem, I dealt with that at Des Moines PD, was spurred on by addiction. You know, people who whose lives are all screwed up, you know. Let's talk a little bit about uh, things that you see uh, going on in the community today. Any changes at the office if you were to become the county attorney? Any big changes, anything at all? Well, um, one thing that I would intend to focus on, it might be because of my background, and I would like to uh, see to what extent we can do more uh, to expand uh, what our response is for victims of sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And the office... um, you know, has a tradition of prosecuting those cases when the victim uh, wants to go forward and when there's sufficient evidence and uh, that we can base a likelihood of conviction. I've done a lot of criminal um, sexual assault cases, mm-hmm. especially in my work with child sexual abuse and other cases of child neglect. And so I would like to expand the work that we do around that. Mm-hmm. I um, recently was appointed to the Child Neglect Task Force for the STAR Center. Many people would recognize that as Blank Children's Child Protection Center, and they're now called the STAR Center. Okay. And so that's a, a priority of mine. Mm-hmm. And I would like to focus on making sure we have a group of prosecutors in that division that that's really where their passion lies. It takes a certain type of person to be able to keep at that type of case, probably a little bit if you're a detective who specializes in sex crimes. Not everybody is interested in doing that, and not everyone has sort of the makeup to to start on that sort of uh, specialty and stick with it. It's It can be tough. Boy, yeah. Des Moines PD has had a great one. She got promoted in Lori Kelly. I'm mm-hmm. sure you know mm-hmm. her. Uh, she's outstanding in that arena, uh, just sensitive, compassionate, forthright. You just can't say enough good about her working on child sex abuse cases. And we, we know that there's uh, often that they're identified, these families are identified in, in juvenile court. So I want to make sure that we're doing everything to really work and partnering with juvenile court services, um, with juvenile court officers, and our juvenile court attorneys in the the, the left hand, the right hand are know what each other is doing so that juvenile court, when they identify somebody, it might be a child in need of assistance, but that individual has been the victim of neglect or sexual assault in the home, that there is a way that we make sure that if there needs to be a prosecution, that that is happening. I see. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell me about you compared to your challenger or the other people running. I mean, how many people are running for this office? Do you know, one individual as of now has announced okay. the primary isn't until June of okay. next year. So, I would anticipate there could be others that join join the race or join uh, the Democratic primary. Compared race. to her, are there, is there some stark differences that you that you're aware of? Obviously, experience sounds like a big one. Experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about her, and I'm not here to promote her, but I know about her. Okay, uh, Dave gives me that just, look. And it's, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah. uh, reimagined candidate. Yeah, I'm oh, okay. okay. You know, Roger, uh, Laura, I've been involved in Polk County politics for thirty some years, and I'm not going to throw my support behind somebody that I don't think can't win or doesn't share my values. And John Sarcone was an outstanding, is an outstanding Polk County attorney. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. And I worked with him on a lot of cases at Des Moines PD for a lot of years. He and I'd be up at three, four in the morning on a fire death or whatever. And so, uh, if those, those folks are supporting Laura, uh, it's a no-brainer for me. I'm supporting Well, absolutely. Laura, what would you say to the law officers? Because we, we have a following with a lot of police officers. What would you say to them about what you're going to do for them or how you're going to work with them? Well, I mentioned experience. Right. So let me follow up with that. And, and also what Dave just commented on is here's why experience matters. Because I have worked cases from the get-go, from mm -hmm. inception, from investigation, from the time the crime occurred through charging, through pretrial process, and all the challenges that come and should come legally all the way through the trial and the sentence in those matters, that's my expertise. And so what I can tell law enforcement officers they can expect, because I've done it mm -hmm. with local law enforcement, police officers, sheriff's deputies, with fire marshal, with public safety uh, officers, specifically DCI, mm -hmm. with a lot of city police departments and county sheriff's offices, is, as Dave mentioned, uh, you can expect to see me at the scene at 3 in the morning. Mm -hmm. If you call me and need help with a charging decision, uh, you can expect that I will answer the phone, and I can give an expert answer mm -hmm. because I've done it, and I've seen it. And I've worked side by side with law enforcement. And that's been my life's work. And I continue to uh, really urge uh, the importance of that relationship. Um, sometimes that means we have tough conversations. You've probably both been oh, on yeah. that. I've, yeah, I mean, that. You're, you're spot on, though. I, I can't begin to tell you how number the number of times in the detective bureau we'd get called in uh, for a death or some major crime, fire, death, whatever, a hate crime, and we'd be sitting in our office with Sarcone or one of his assistants, and uh, they're, they're wearing jeans and a flannel shirt with a big cup of coffee in their hands, but they're getting down to business with us and the law enforcement officers, detectives, and that's what makes this thing go from the get-and-go. You're there. You, you, you're telling me you'll be there because I know you have to be there and you will be there, and that's how these things, you build an airtight case. And our listeners you know, or our common sense accountability kind of people, you know, they're taxpayers. They want good representation in, in law enforcement and the county attorney's office. And I noticed in your, you're talking about accountability and your what you do too. And that, that, that goes to both ways that goes for police officers for the good ones and the bad ones. You're going to hold them accountable as well. And uh, I'll tell you about my experience and what, what you just mentioned there. Um, I don't wear this as a, a badge of honor, but I also uh, will give it as an example for what you just said. I've prosecuted 10, 11, maybe a dozen police officers, mm -hmm. uh, jail administrators over my um, career. Now, that means that uh, I would go into communities at the request of the local county attorney's office who had maybe a conflict of interest in making that charging decision. And I would see departments almost every time say, this is not somebody we want to have. We, that person's been through their IA investigation. They've committed a crime. Um, or uh, in most cases, whatever the employment decision had been, mm -hmm. or if it had been made yet or not, I had to move forward with, um, with the assessment of the evidence and determine whether there was going to be a charge. 
I can think of lots of examples where there was exploitation, sexual exploitation of, of uh, female inmates or trustees. Mm-hmm. Um, I was called in to do that in a county uh, twice in three years, actually. Um, and the person that made the call was the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Well, because I, they didn't want to have that. They knew that was civil liability for the county. They had problems with the jail standard violations in the PREA, which is the Prison Rape uh, Reform mm-hmm. uh, Act under federal law. I ran the uh, police union for six years, and I ran the police PBA for 15. And there's no way I'm going to defend or represent a cop who's guilty, who's I think is guilty of the charges. You know, we, we get a gut feeling in law enforcement, and when an officer's been accused of doing things, where there's smoke, there's fire. Now, everybody's innocent until proven guilty. I understand that. But in law enforcement, we are the ones charged with public safety, charged with integrity, upholding the law fairly and uniformly. And when you stray from that, we don't want you in the profession. You're no good to us. You're a liability. We want you gone. Good, good officers is what we want. And when we, when yes. we say that to the public, we... We support law enforcement. We support good law enforcement. And there's a lot of people out there trying to put a bad narrative to that one or two officers and paint the whole system that way. It's not that way. Well, we talk about this all the time, Roger, here on the show too, Laura, is that uh, the statistics prove the integrity of the law enforcement profession across the nation. Less than one half of 1% of all this nation's police officers run afoul of the law annually. Those are pretty good statistics. We like to be batting 100%. But you know that's not realistic. But one half of one, less than one half of one percent, I'll take that all day long. When I'm talking about the prosecutions uh, that I've been involved in of law enforcement officers, of peace officers, that was when I was at the Area Prosecutions Division of the Attorney General's Office for mm-hmm. the state of Iowa. That was our role. We would go into counties where they had a high-profile case, maybe a complex uh, felony offense like murder or a kidnapping first, or maybe a delayed disclosure, child sex abuse case, cold case murders. I've done several of those. Mm. Uh, One about three years ago that was almost 20 years old, and there was no body. And we never did find the body. And I was successful in that prosecution of that murder. So that was my role to go in and uh, take on some of those tougher cases, maybe some that were sort of political hot potatoes in the local community. And so um, that, I guess, I, I my experience has prepared me to make those tough decisions. You bring up a great point. And let me expound on this a little bit. Uh, anytime anybody's partisan politics impact the way they do their job in the position you're seeking or in my position when I was with the Des Moines Police Department, Anytime partisan politics starts to sway us in our duty, we're derelict. You would agree with that. There's no way partisan politics has ever remotely impacted my law enforcement, period. It just can't, it just can't happen. It's got to be fair. It's got to be— Well, you lose integrity, you know, and you see a lot of that right now where people in the—like the reporters, they've lost their integrity because they're so far out to the right or to the left. you gotta, you got to stay true to the ethics of your job. Let me mention the ethics along what you said. Uh, so not only as a licensed attorney in the state of Iowa do I have the set of professional standards for lawyers that I must file, our ethical rules, as they're called, under uh, our state law issued by the state Supreme Court and enforced by them. But in addition, as a prosecutor, I also have the 
prosecutorial standards and ethics. And that's an additional layer of protection. For whom? Well, for the accused in those criminal cases. And uh, I have always demonstrated the highest ethical concerns and priorities in my work. Why wouldn't I? Here's the two reasons. I could lose my license to practice law, but I could also uh, run afoul of due process for the individuals that are charged. And that matters to me because I have a duty not to do so. One of the things as a county attorney, you have to be as a good manager. And I know you have a number of attorneys. You have to manage people in there. And I don't know, how big is that office? How many attorneys are are in there? About 55 attorneys. So you're running just like any other business. You're managing 55 people. You're overseeing their caseloads and making, helping make decisions. Uh, Do you see that growing or that number growing or staying about the same or lessening or? I don't really have any idea about that one way or the other until we started to look at some of those uh, numbers and see what what cases we're prosecuting and um, where our priority areas. Is that similar to what you came from with the state? Well, at the attorney general's office, there are about 140 lawyers uh, now. How many criminal prosecutors? There were seven of us. Mm. We traveled the state. Uh, I think the last month that I worked there, I traveled almost... about 1,700 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, I've prosecuted cases in every judicial district in Iowa. I've tried over 100-plus uh, jury trials, and I've had cases in 89 of our 99 counties. Impressive. Wow. Impressive. Busy, busy, busy. What, uh, Lots of law enforcement agencies <laughs> I've worked with over the years. As a, uh, as a candidate, now what does that map look like for you? Is it a, lot of, a lot of going out, seeing people, talking, meeting people, campaign stops? Yes. And in fact, right now, my priority is to get my name out there. Um, right. I'm not, uh, uh, you know, maybe recognizable to people outside the law enforcement arena, but also outside victim services. Um, that is really something that's important and at the center of my decision making as mm-hmm. a prosecutor. Uh, I want to make certain that when we're getting an outcome in the case, you know, that we're we're serving justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing so fairly, but the victim has to feel that the it was a just result. Right. Um, and that also brings up another priority of mine. For some time, the county attorney's office has had uh, restorative justice programs, and I think that that's something that I'd like to continue to expand. That we would work with community-based partners to give victims more opportunities for restorative justice, and to some extent. Often, depending on the type of case, mm-hmm. that can be uh, a good path for defendants, too. If they're not going to be locked up or they're not going to be locked up for life, we need to think pragmatically. They're going to be back out on the street. If we're going to keep more people from being victimized, we better do what we can to be part of ensuring they don't reoffend. You know, it's been my experience that one small piece of what you just alluded to has been financial restitution, that predators pay back society, not just in jail time, but they take money out of their pockets to pay back to the damage they cause, the emotional damage they cause, or both. I think that's critical to helping maybe have those types avoid doing what they did again. Well, I've seen get, that in action. Uh, there's different tools in your tool belt that you can use. You know, a lot of people, you know, you know you've got the career criminal out there, and then you've got the guy that, the guy that the, is the good guy that makes that one bad decision, 
and everybody makes those once in a while and runs them afoul of the law. And that's where I think a good prosecutor, a good county attorney's office, in my opinion, can sift through and say, you know, is this a one thing or is this a the repetitive thing? And I think those tools are diff- different for those people. Well, well, I'll give you an example of that in the juvenile uh, courts. Uh, there's been talk about whether we, uh, w- you know, should continue to waive uh, youthful offenders to adult court. Well, certainly we know under law there's a certain class of crimes that if you can, if a juvenile commits that one of those crimes, that waiver is mandated. Uh, now, in some instances, there's a there is a process to have that that waiver reversed, but it's a court process and it would be it's used fairly sparingly. But we see a lot of those kids that are not waived to adult court. And, and in fact, I think statistically, very, very few, maybe under a dozen uh, uh, juveniles would be actually waived to adult court on a discretionary basis outside of that class of crimes for the mandated waivers. And then we, so many of those uh, offenders, they go through youthful offender program. They would be candidates for waiver. Um, and the reason that the number of juveniles actually waived is so low because most of them go to youthful offenders program. That's a diversion program. Mm-hmm. It's been successful. It's been in the office for years. It takes partnership with the courts, with juvenile court services, and the defense bar, and they and and it's and it's used a lot. So we would look at ways: are are we um, do we have the funding we need? Could we seek additional funding to expand that? But the offenders, even the juveniles that are not eligible for that program, maybe they've been in the program, they've offended, they've reoffended, they've been on supervision, they've offended again. Those are the uh, the kids, and they're few. Um, that aren't waived automatically to adult court based on their cl- class of crimes, but mm-hmm. they may be subject to delinquency adjudication, probably not going to be their f- first trip to um, a custodial situation. Yeah, but we don't give up on these kids. Sometimes that's the rhetoric you hear, but it's not the case. You're right. But let me let me expound on one of the most frustrating aspects of, of police officers dealing with juveniles is this delayed referral, okay, where we – we make a police case, they're charged, quote-unquote, with a crime, then we just turn them back over to the parents, and they reoffend, and they reoffend, and they reoffend. What's the answer to that? Boy, I wish I had enough time to discuss the answers, <laughs> but I think that what we have to look at is what, what is the research tells us has been effective. Lots of different things have been tried. Uh, remember when we went through the phase of the boot camps and, mm-hmm. and then all the research has showed that wasn't really very effective. So um, I don't know all the answers to that. I know I'm not the expert on it, and that's when I talk about uh, seeking new and bigger avenues of funding, but mm-hmm. also to partner with the other stakeholders who who have the experience and and also some ideas we bring them to, all together to the table. Speaking of funding, I am a huge advocate of and supporter of uh, our state government allotting as much social services funding to the juvenile system as possible because I think if you don't do that then we're all just spinning we're twisting and and not really making any headway to get out of that muck. One one of the things that you talked about earlier uh mental health is a huge deal and uh, I think you had some ideas you mentioned about that uh you'd like to see expanded 
Yes, and I think the county is doing some work on that. What mm -hmm. I mean by the county, that would include uh, municipal police departments as well as uh, Broadlawns and other mm -hmm. uh, mental health services and substance abuse. Um, Reentry program is involved in that, probation, parole, and we're looking at starting that mobile uh, mental health crisis yeah. unit for juveniles. That's been a big, um, a big expansion, and that's great. That's not having uh, uh, social workers show up in lieu of police. Right. That is when we see calls come in where juveniles need assistance, we get them routed to the right place. And um, we have other uh, services, and in, in when we look at it's not just a matter of a court commitment, mm -hmm. right, to Broadlands. We have to do more than that. And I think the sheriff's office has, uh, through their mental crisis unit, they've done that for, for many years. They're dealing with some of those individuals and their families that are in crisis. And I think as we um, have really now focused on how do we expand that so we can identify more individuals, maybe before they end up in situations where it escalates and somebody is hurt or right. even police officers come to the scene. Now, the other piece of that is in some areas of the country, they have developed mental health courts. Mm -hmm. And Dave, that goes a little bit to that funding. There is a lot of uh, federal funding out there for programs like that for juveniles and young adults. And we would look at, as a result of childhood trauma, neglect, we see those incidents of, of substance abuse and uh, mental illness or the dual diagnosis of those two things mm -hmm. result in a lot of damage to communities. Those kids drop out of school. They develop addiction. They may become homeless. They often do. A lot of the societal ills uh, we could address by helping young adult and youth uh, in with those services. I see. Yeah, because that's a big that's a big part. Well, of there's it. so much we could talk for hours about the juvenile piece here. The lack of proper parenting sometimes is is missing. Uh, no mentorship, no role models, no no discipline. Uh, not having to abide by any rules, you know, at home because there's not really much of a home. The kids kind of just run and do what they want to do. You, you see the ups and downs of the whole spectrum, you know, if you're in law enforcement or as a county attorney. Well, Laura, tell us how uh, how can people reach you? How can they donate to your campaign? Uh, I have a website, and thanks for asking, and it is Roan for Polk Attorney. Dot com roan for polk attorney.com my last name is spelled r o a n or go to cop talk i did a link i put it in our little deal and we'll do it again put a link on our facebook page that they can click on and go right to that and do that do you have any upcoming events that anybody should know about anything planned at this point, just watch my Facebook uh, as things are, are coming up. And certainly I like to attend different uh, things that are going on in the community. Next week, we're excited about the grand opening of the sheriff's new sheriff's headquarters up on uh, on 14th. I knew they'd been building one up there. Kevin Schneider needed a Taj Mahal, so they <laughs> built him one up there. Kevin's a good guy. He's a, good He's a friend of ours. He's a friend, He's of, a friend ours. of ours. Absolutely. Yeah. It was important. It was uh, almost, in my mind, kind of a public safety thing in and of itself because the sheriff's office was cut up in all those different locations yeah. you know they had some at river place they'd outgrown the patrol up there at northeast 14 <laughs> northeast 14. i go by there i look at that building and still looks like a you know a recreational building of some kind i, I never well the, the, is the range still back there 
and you know we go up there. Are to they going to have a new range? Are they going to have a new range? They're going to they, if they don't, they need one. Oh, we got to get Kevin on here. We're going to find out. Get it's the, like get it's the like qualifying down. in a gravel pit. All I want to know is <laughs> how big office does he have? Does he have the the fancy office? Uh, he's he's good man. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I uh, just want to tell you, I appreciate you coming out today. I'm going to just give you a mic. Tell us anything you want to say to our listeners. Anything at all. Yeah, I'll just tell you that what I know uh, from experience and my belief is that the county attorney's office is it's not an entry level position. And the county attorney's office is about doing justice and keeping our county and its residents safe. And if I'm elected, I'm prepared to start on day one. What I'll tell you, folks, this Man, is our gal. This is it all. This is who it I'm going to vote all. for. Yeah. OK. She hit the uh, nail right on the head. I uh Everything you've said today, I, I'm 100% with. Yeah. 100%. Great job. Great job, Laura. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having Talk me. Talk at you. Well, our next guest I want to bring on is uh, what I call, he's police royalty. I've known his dad, his brothers. Uh, you know, his, uh, he's he's been around the department forever. You know him. He's a friend of mine and a friend of yours. Oh, yeah. He's uh, he's almost reached legendary status at the Des Moines Police Department via his dad, via his late brother, and now with all of his work in the bands, all the notoriety he's received playing and singing his, uh, on the guitar, and uh, he's also an outstanding street cop, too, Mike Moody. Michael, welcome, my friend. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate the compliments, and I really appreciate you guys remembering my family. That's awesome. Well, Bill, I got I, I to gotta tell you something. Uh, today... I was having lunch at a restaurant, and a West Des Moines policeman came in. He sat down. And, of course, you know me. I go, hey, how you doing? Give him a card. Listen to the program. I said, I've got uh, Mike Moody coming on today and uh, Laura Ronan. I said, do you know Mike Moody? He goes, everybody knows Mike Moody. <laughs> so you are not only department-wide in Des Moines, throughout the metro, you're well-known. Well, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate I, I, it. I, I also want to let our listeners know that you are remote today you aren't here <laughs> yeah. in the studio we have you via phone because of uh, a little illness a little illness but uh, and we're going to have you in here but thank you for coming on today and, and and fighting through it mike i you know i i, I uh met your dad in 1977 i was a young kid and 18 and drinking age was 18 and i worked at a place called sojourn or not sojourn mothers but uncle sam's i worked there too but uncle sam's and that's where i met i met bill down there and and he was my first real contact with law enforcement. Got me interested. He was working down there with a guy by the name of Richard Sanders. Yeah, I remember them both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Richard, anybody but me. Uh, <laughs> your dad is such a fabulous guy. And, uh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I remember Uncle Sam as well. I, I used to go in there as a kid, uh, and I remember the lit up dance floor they yeah, had and all that yeah. stuff. Oh, cool. he, Bill was there, and he, he, you know, I worked the door, and he, he was there. He sat right up front with, with Richard, and they, they did it. And uh, your dad is a legend uh bless his heart and uh, you know rest in peace and you know i gotta ask you a question there's a story going around that uh when he was on patrol as a patrolman because bill was into boxing he golden gloves boxing mm -hmm. and all that, that he used to carry around a mouthpiece with him and when he'd go to bar fight he'd put that mouthpiece in <laughs> to go in and fight i don't know if there's any truth to that but uh, I don't know either. I've never heard that one, but that, that would not shock me at oh, all. I'd put money on that one, Roger. I, I tell you <laughs> that he's one of the few guys I don't care at any age I wouldn't want to mess with out in that parking lot. I'm I'll tell you, when I first came on, I mean, I, I knew Bill before that, but when I first came on, he I remember distinctly, he ran up to me at the police department and he grabbed my arm 
And he said, he's going to be a good one, you know, talking about me. Then he punched me in my shoulder. <laughs> uh, Mike, my, I still have bruises on my shoulder from your old man's punch. Yeah, I'm familiar with that, Dave. Let me tell you, when I, when I was 18, I lied to him one time, and he, he literally knocked me out. Oh, yeah. You only do that one time with Bill. One yeah. time. Yeah, I never, I never lied to that man again. And at, when he died at 73 years old, he was still teaching the boxing to the academy. Uh-huh. And, and he would come in, and while the guys were walking in, the, the new recruits were walking in, he would be hitting the bag. And here's this gray-haired old man lifting this bag like he was mad at it. And these these new recruits were just like, holy cow, who is this yeah. guy? Well, he taught he taught my academy class, and you guys came on after me. I think he taught yours, didn't he? Yeah, he taught mine, and then I started uh, uh, helping him teach uh, up until his death, and then I took it over after that. Now, when now when you were in a, his his class, did he use you as an example? Did he did he pound on uh, you a little bit? You know bit? what he he treated me like everyone else, and uh, he. I, I asked him. There were certain guys I wanted to, to box in the class, and he said, "No, you'll kill him. You're going to fight this guy, and you're going to fight this guy." He he gave me no slack whatsoever. Well, he. Uh, I know that he was a, a judge for the Golden Gloves. Was it, wasn't that the deal? He judged it and the whole deal. Yeah. He judged. He judged Golden Gloves, and he judged uh, uh, several professional fights. One of the one of the things I do know is, he was a lieutenant at that police department when he retired but he was really a cop's cop i mean he wasn't oh a, yeah he didn't yeah. buy into the political administration stuff uh, no much. He, it's he, all about street cops that's right he he was a policeman's policeman down yeah there. yeah that's he was one approved. of those guys i think you know i'm a lot like him you either love him or you hate him you know mm. and and fortunately for him and i i, I think more people like us than not but there, there's definitely the, the ones that don't you mm. know I'll tell you, Mike, you've heard this story. Roger hasn't, and the listeners haven't. I, I remember the year distinctly. It was 94. Your late brother, Pat, asked me to go over to the house, your mom and dad's house. He was still, Pat was still living at home to put a windshield on his Harley. So I'm over there putting this windshield on Pat's Harley because he's going to Sturgis. And when Pat shows up, and your dad's out in the garage with me, and your dad, nothing got by him. He looks over and he sees that Pat just got his ear pierced. And so so yeah. Bill reaches up and grabs him by the ear. And boy, Pat says, Dad, Dad, that hurts. Dad, don't. And Bill turns to me and he says, Now what's next, Morello? Is he going to wear a tube top and a pair of culottes to Sturgis? <laughs> that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Because I will tell you, Pat should have learned from my mistakes. Because... Uh, again, at 18, I decided to put an earring in my head, and I sat down at the kitchen table, and uh, he uh, he uh, said, what is that? And I said, oh, it's an earring. He goes, is that a stud or a diamond? He reached over like he was interested. He reached <laughs> over and grabbed it and pulled it out of my ear, oh. and, and all I did was bleed all over. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, he, he, he was a hell of a... Hey, uh, one of our listeners wanted me to tell you hi uh rich emery rich was the manager of uncle sam's way back in the day and he he tells a story about coming over to your house for thanksgiving bill invited him over and he came over there and met you guys uh he's a there's a bunch of kids there and stuff but you know you know what else rich did whenever my dad took us down there yeah uh rich would rich would uh during the day my dad would go down there and talk to those guys and stuff like that but we'd go in there and they had all these pinball machines and stuff. And Rich would just give me a roll of quarters and say, "Go have fun." Oh. And I'd go back. That's the, the things that I remember. And I was a kid. Him and, and him kid. and Tony Greco ran that place, and 
And uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of memories about Uncle Sam's. So uh, now you were policeman of the year. That was when was that? Twenty eighteen year policeman of the year. The video you made now, was that done how did that come about? Tell me about that a little bit. Well, uh there's a gentleman named uh Will Keeps and uh Will is a, a real advocate for police. I will tell you that. He's very pro police and uh but he's very, very pro community and he does everything he can to help the community out. Um and it's it's not about a certain race or anything like that. It's about helping the community. And I had listened to his story a couple times. We have a thing called the Second Chance Program where the kids that get in trouble for the first time, we put them through these classes, and, and they're, they're stuck with us policemen for a week. But uh, we also have other people come in and talk to them, kind of give them some right. motivational mm-hmm. Speech, mm-hmm. speeches and stuff like that. And we had Will come in and speak to him, and I sat and la- listened to his story, and... It's an incredible story. If you ever get the chance, I mean, he'd probably be a great guy to have on your show, but he's just got an incredible story. Uh, He works very close with the chief. He works very close with the sheriff. He works with the governor. Uh, The governor was even in our video. That's all due to Will. Was was, was that at a time time when all this uprush was going on, Uh, the the riots and stuff around the country? Yeah. Yeah, Well, it it was right before all of that. For the most part, there was a lot of stuff going on across the country, but it hadn't mm-hmm. quite hit Des Moines yet like right. that. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was good timing. It was I really don't, good I, timing. It, it's such a powerful uh, song. It's a Bon Jovi song that you do. Matter of fact, if you don't mind, what I'd like to do, Bob, is play that right now, and uh, we're just going to play that song and let play out. I'm going to ask you a couple questions after. Tell me.
said we gotta hold on to what we got Doesn't make a difference if we make it or not We got each other and that's a lot for love We'll give it a shot Oh, and with it I'm close to getting a pin. I'm making moves so I can catch a win. I'm tied up. I'm trying to spin, trying to rise up. Making moves so I can get up. Making moves so I can roll out. Can't catch my breath. I gotta tag out. I'm hearing the cheers from the other side. No lie, I'm about to say goodbye. I can't take it about to lose though. Oh man, no, oh, here we go. The question is, am I gonna make it? You baiting me, yo, I gotta shake it. You're looking at me like a fool, hoping that I'm gonna lose. We gotta hold on, ready or not, live for the fight. Well, that's all that you got. And I said, Good call, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we decided to do Living on a Prayer, and I changed up the arrangement. We kind of made it, you know, an acoustic song, and we kind of slowed it down, and uh, we just kind of made it our own. And he even throws a little bit of rap in there that he does. And it was outstanding. I'm a big, I'm a did, big music you, fan, and, and I, when I first heard that, yeah. you guys sound so good together. It was outstanding. Did, did that get a lot of play? Did it? Uh, did the department get behind it? I think they probably did. Obviously, they had guys in there, but did it? Did it do what you wanted it to do? Yeah, you know, uh, the department did get behind it, and and we had a lot of uh, policemen and firemen in the video. Uh, like I said, we had the governor, we had um, some uh, county supervisors, we we had all kinds of you know big wigs in that for the most part, and it, it turned out uh, better than I thought it would, to be honest with you. Now, now, do you guys do you guys still play that? Do you? I mean, obviously, you're. You do, you're in a band outside of law enforcement. So do you guys still play that song? Uh, we, we don't do that song, although we've talked about it. Um, uh, I don't think it'd be hard for us to do. I think we could probably do it. We've, we've had people request it and stuff like that. So it's probably something we're going to end up doing. Yeah. I, tell, tell me about the new, the new band you're in. 
Uh, the new band is called Mike Moody and the Outlaws. Okay. Um, it, it involves me and my son and another guy named Jordan Tuttle. My son's name is Corey. And uh, actually, uh, Corey's birthday is today. Oh, and happy birthday, birthday uh, Corey. Yeah. It was, it was my mom and dad's first grandchild, and it was, it's also my dad's birthday today. Oh, oh cool. cool. Yeah, multiple birthdays on Sunday. Happy days. Heavenly Birthday, Bill. That's right. Right. I mean, he's looking down. Hey, and let's not forget, Roger, uh, about Mike is one of the founding members of the infamous Legal Limit band that the Des Moines Police oh, Department yeah. had for you. <laughs> let, let me tell you a little something about that. That was, without a doubt, without a doubt, the best PR that police department has ever embarked upon that was unofficial. They, the department I, didn't embrace them like they should have. Uh, that would be different now with Chief Winger there, but right. they didn't do it for whatever reason. But they touched tens of thousands of students in the metro area by going to schools and playing for them in uniform. It was it was a huge success. Well, Mike, we had Ray Gallardo on here, uh, what, two, two shows ago, old Raymond? Yeah, and Mike, I was with him Saturday for his daughter's belated wedding reception, and I got the stomach flu up there. Oh, you probably spread it. You probably spread oh, it. Yeah, it was bad. Mike, uh, going back to law enforcement, uh, you were an SRO for a long time in Des Moines. Yeah, and right. they, they I did. did a, I did the SRO thing for five years. Yeah. They did. They did that. They did away with that program. But I, I, I never understood that because you got along. It seems like with everybody at that school. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I did. I did five years at Roosevelt, but I did two years in the middle school. And I will tell you, I I made some of the best relationships I've ever made in my career at that school. I mean, and it it was such a great program for kids to get to know a policeman. I mean, mm-hmm. face to face every day, Sam. I've had kids have me be their sponsor for their confirmation. Huh. I've had kids invite me to Thanksgiving dinner. I still, to this day, have kids. Like two, three weeks ago, I had three different kids call me and ask me to go to lunch. And I, and I do. I go to lunch with these kids, and they tell me what's going on. And some of them are out of college now. Some of them are you know, working and doing their thing. Some of them have kids. And, and, and they've stayed in touch. They're the ones getting a hold of me, which is incredible. Well, it, it wasn't the department who pulled you out. It was the it was the schools, if I if I remember correctly. It was absolutely the schools, and and you know it all depends on who you ask. But uh, the schools will claim that you know Chief Winger pulled us out. That's just not true. Uh, it, it was it was the school's decision, and uh, you know at, at that time people were you know defund the police and everything, right. and they thought we were the enemy. And if if they could see the things that that happened when I was at that school. Uh, that was the best part was I, I got along so well with the kids. I didn't necessarily get along great with the administration. We didn't really see eye to eye, but, but the kids, I got along with great. I think probably because we were all on the same maturity level, but you know, I, <laughs> I, yeah. I, got along, I got along great with the kids. Well, I think, I think that like everything else, I think eventually that'll be revisited and uh, they you know, they might have a change of the guard over there. And I, I could see that program getting re-implemented back. I really could. I, mean, I, it was I good. think so, too. The unfortunate part is I think that uh, they've done a lot of damage to the, the reputation of police officers. And it would be so hard for, for a policeman to go into that situation now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see videos now where, where people will be cussing out policemen, flipping them off and stuff like that. And, 
you're going to put yourself into the lion's den for, for a while until yeah. the kids really get to know you. Well, the teachers will be the one. Uh, trust me, I think they'll ask them back because the teachers are the ones that are putting yeah. their, their butts on I the agree. line here. I mean, like, like I said, the administration is, is who I butted heads with. The teachers, I got along with great. Um, it, it, the administration in the middle schools was awesome. Um, but the one guy that, that uh, put me in the Roosevelt Hall of Fame uh, was the same guy that got on Channel 13 and was saying how the kids felt icky and we made them feel intimidated and, and stuff like that. And it just it, it blew me away because he actually had a black police officer working at his school. Uh-huh. Huh. That didn't make any sense to me. Well, that's that's uh, that that whole deal. We could do a whole show on that issue. I think. Uh, what uh, what how are things going with the department? What's your what's your take down there? How's Dana doing? Uh, I know that's a loaded question. You still work for the man, and he's a friend of ours. But uh, look, I, I I I'll shoot straight from the hip, man. I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I love Dana Wingert. I think he does a great job. I've I've loved the guy since he came on. I think he's one of the funniest humans I know. I think he he was put into a really bad position of this political stuff, and uh, I think he's done a, a very good job. I don't want any part of his job. Uh, my brother-in-law is Al Tunks, right? Um, and he's the assistant chief, and I wouldn't want any part of his job either. No, it's. I mean, it's. It, they're fighting the city council. They got this new council person over there, and I, 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 I feel sorry. And we we want to support him 110 percent. Anything we can do. My only complaint with. Uh, with Dana is that he's a Hawkeye fan. So, you know, I had him up at the football game with us and had tipped a couple. And, uh, uh, but, uh, him and Tammy, I, I love them to death. They're great people. And, uh, he, uh, Dana worked for me, uh, Mike, do you remember he was low man on the totem pole when I was the jail sergeant and he was my night jailer back in the early nineties. It was, uh, we had a lot of fun. Hey, Hey Mike, one of the things we do, on this program, I'll ask you to do this. Uh, we always ask the officers to tell us one story, a trip that you made that, that you remember. I don't know if it's funny or if it's, it could be a tragic story. Dave told the story about when he was uh, got the Drake Diner trip. Um, is there anything that sits in your mind that sticks out that you could tell us about the, uh, a trip that you went on since you've been on the department? You know, I, there's so many stories. You know, I, I've been down there now 33 years, and um, there, there's a million. I should have started a book when I started, you know, because I think any policeman that would start a book the day he starts will have a bestseller when he retires. I really do. Right. But um, but my, my I, I got funny ones. I got I got serious ones. I'll tell you I'll tell you one of the serious ones. I was on the SWAT team for 20 years. Right. And um, we had uh, we were going to training that day, and we got a call that a guy had shot his wife. Uh, and shot a neighborly. And what had happened was um, he had come home and somehow got his wife's phone and went, started going through it and found an, a picture of another man's genitalia. Okay. And lost his mind and went and got a gun. She ran out the front door. He shot her, and she died in the street. She fell in the street and died. Okay. And... While she's laying there in the street, the neighbor lady pulled up, rolled down her window, and said, I've seen what you did. I'm calling the police. And he shot her in the face. Oh, no. And she 
drove over. She she slumped over the wheel. Her foot went on the gas and drove over the lady that was in the street. Um, the car continued on about half a block and then hit a pole. And then that guy went into the house and took his three daughters hostage. Okay. He called his father-in-law and said, I just killed your daughter, and now I'm going to kill the kids, and then I'm going to kill myself. Hmm. So so they called the SWAT team out, and uh, we came out. With, and like I said, we were going to training, so we were there like lickety-split. We, we had all our gear. We were ready to go. It was, it was amazing how fast we were able to get there and, and be ready. But uh, I was in charge of the SWAT team that day, and uh, I made a plan. I had three teams. Uh, I made a plan to assault the house. It had three uh, doors on it. It had a front door, had a side door, and it had a sliding glass door in the back. And just the way the house was set up, uh, I had each team on a door, and we flashbang. Uh, we used nine flashbangs on that house. Mm-hmm. And um, what we wanted to do was, uh, get in there as quick as we could. And I, and I will never forget talking to the three teams. That, that's 30 guys. Right. I was talking to them, and I said, this is the deal. If your religion, if your heart, if your mind cannot kill this man, you need to step out of my line right now. You need to, to remove yourself, because that's what we're going in here to do. Because there's one of three things that's going to happen. He's either going to shoot himself, he's going to shoot at the kids, or he's going to shoot at us. And we have to be able to put him down. Right. So you have to wrap your mind around that. I didn't want there to be any hesitation. I didn't want to stop. I didn't want. I didn't want anything. We needed to keep moving. And uh, I will never forget thirty guys looking at me so intently, listening to every word I said. I've never had anybody pay attention to me that much. You know, mm-hmm. it was incredible. But, but uh, we did it. We we hit it. We threw nine flashbangs in and and. Uh, we had uh, guys from the outside throwing flashbangs through the top windows because we knew he was upstairs. We just didn't know where the kids were. Right. But we knew he was upstairs. And uh, my team went upstairs. And uh, as we started going up the stairs, he started shooting at us, mm-hmm. which is actually what we wanted. We wanted him to, to focus his attention on us and not the kids. Right. And uh, he shot eight times at us as we uh, went up the stairs. And the, I could see the bullets impact in the wall as we were going up and I give full credit to the two guys ahead of me. Uh, uh, Rick largest was the second guy and, uh, Aaron was the first guy. Um, and I will tell you that they, they got to the top of the stairs and they didn't hesitate. They didn't stop. They made the turn and, uh, they peeled off did their rooms and all that stuff. And as luck would have it, I get the room where the guy is. Okay. And he, he's laying on the floor. His gun is at slide lock, which means he ran out of bullets. Um, and he's laying on the floor, bleeding from his forehead. And I remember entering that room and seeing him laying on the ground and seeing the, the empty gun next to him. And two of the girls, now he had three girls. The oldest one was five. And two of the girls were on the bed and were up against the corner of the wall on the bed screaming. I mean, they were obviously scared to death. Right. And and I called for a man. He came up. He started handcuffing them. And and as I'm looking around, there's a baby's crib in there. The baby's in the crib. 
and the flashbang that we had thrown through the window from outside had gone into the crib and blown up and actually started a fire in the crib. Oh, no. So I grabbed the baby out. Uh, I grabbed the two little girls. Uh, we ran them downstairs, handed them off to some officers that were out there. They put them in an ambulance. They, they jetted them out of there. Um, the guy, I figured, had shot himself with his last bullet. Right. And I, I, I figured that's what it was, but we still handcuff dead people because we've all seen the movies, man, you know. Right. They, they come back to life, and you come back, and they're gone. We don't, we don't mess with that. We handcuff dead people, and, and that's just part of it. And uh, we got him on a gurney also, got him to the hospital. I sent two of my SWAT guys with him in the ambulance. And when we got all done and handed everything over to detectives and everything, we left there. I called my guys that were at the hospital, and they said, hey, this guy's up talking. He's sitting up talking. I'm like, what? They said, yeah, we don't know. It wasn't a bullet. We don't know what it was. And to this day, we don't know what it was. But I, what I truly believe happened, I believe that the flashbang came in, hit him in the forehead, and bounced into the crib. That's what I think happened. Wow. And he and he didn't he didn't get shot at all. He was hit with no, a flashbang. He was not shot. He was not shot. And then uh, I I said, well, how's the kid? And they, they said the two kids, the two girls are good. The baby that was in the crib, uh, Doc said that she's got a burn on her left leg, left ankle, uh, but it's less than a sunburn. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, I mean, that guy's living. He's living. I guess that's the best outcome you could ask for, isn't it? That's absolutely the best outcome. And, you know, I, I used to tell that story. I taught a class at Roosevelt. I used to tell that story on my last day. I'd tell them that story. And it was always inevitable that these kids would say, you know, hey, have you ever got a hold of those girls and said, hey, you know, I'm the one that saved your life and blah, blah, blah. I, you know, mm-hmm. this is my thing. I'm not a hero to them girls. I'm a constant reminder of the worst day of their life. So I don't want to meet those girls. Well, you are I hope hero, they're doing Mike. well. I, I pray for them, but I don't want to meet them. You know, Mike, and these are the type of stories that uh, the media never expounds upon and the public never hears about, and that's what this podcast tries to do is give folks the real behind-the-scenes story of all the dangerous but good work that you and others that wear the blue suit perform 24-7, 365. I appreciate that. And one the reason that you know we ask these stories because we want our listeners, the ones that aren't in law enforcement, to understand what officers do, just what they do. Because you're not going to hear that story from a news outlet or somebody like that. And you know, we ha- we have people like you telling it because you're, you know, that's coming from the horse's mouth. This is what happened. And uh, I well, and you know, in, in the 33 years I've been doing it, I, I can tell you that all these TV shows that I see, they solve every crime in a half hour or an hour or whatever. That's, that's not true either. Nothing, none of it's realistic, but you, you don't understand. You don't shoot somebody and go back to work the next day. That, that stuff doesn't happen. That's not real. You ever notice, Mike, on these TV cop shows, they'll kill a couple people, and then they never do any paperwork or file charges or talk to the county <laughs> right. attorney. They right. just go off to the bar and have a drink. Make sure their head's right or anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, <it's> like <laughs> off to the bar, have a drink, and they start macking on some chick. I mean, that's hey, it. I, I will tell you. I will tell you. I got one quick funny story if you want. Sure, absolutely. You know, you, you, you mentioned at the beginning of this that you know a lot of people know me, and that's true. Uh, but I, I stopped a guy one time at East 14th University for uh, running a stoplight, and he had pulled into the Walgreens parking lot there. 
and I got up and I went up and talked to him, was getting his license and stuff, and I kind of smelled some beer on him, you know, some alcohol. So I thought, well, I'm going to have him have a seat in my car to see how much is, you know, on him and not in the car. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So I got him out and I, I put him in the back seat of my car and I came back around. I got in my car and I started, you know, writing out uh, what we call a 180 at that time uh, and basically just information on him so we have it in the future if we need it. But I, I was writing that out, and I said, what's your name? And he gives me his name, and he goes, this is the honest got truth. He goes, is Moody working? <laughs> and I turned around and looked at him. I said, uh, yeah, I think he is. I said, well, you know Moody, do you? He goes, yeah, I went to school together. I said, really? I said, where'd you go to school? He said, East High. I said, really? <laughs> I said, did they teach you how to read at East High? And he says, what's that supposed to mean? I turned around and showed him my nameplate. <laughs> I showed him my name. And he, this, on my brother's grave, he goes, hey, bud, what's up? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> you don't even know me, man. Like, he, he, like, he must have been a maroon scarlet. Isn't that right? I think we had a similar situation one time where you told me somebody's name and I... You were making fun of him, and I just took it for granted. I called yeah. him that. Yeah. yeah that, we're not going to go into that story. Yeah, but, no. no. Uh, but, well. It was funny because he, he thought I went to eat with him, but I actually went to Dallas, so I didn't even have a class with him. I don't know what he <laughs> Well, that's why he was where he was at. He was a brain surgeon. Well, I, uh, I you know, Mike, that song you've done, going back to that a little bit, that song you guys wrote, have, has anybody, uh, have you played that live for anybody, any groups? Uh, I, other than your band. Yeah, I, I played in a band called Fahrenheit for a while, and uh, Will came to one of our shows, and we actually kind of improv it and played it at that show. Mm-hmm. And uh, But that's really been the only time we did it. Um, like I said, we're, we're talking about doing it now, so we'll probably start throwing it into our cool. our little repertoire. I, I, I think that's a, a great deal. You know, everything you've done, it, and like I said, your family, and, and God rest your brother, you know, there's a guy that I, you know, I used to see in the hallways, and he would always have a big smile on his face. And I wasn't down there that long that uh, they were kind of passing, but I knew Pat, and he was such a great guy. And, and he, after he was injured, I I called him one day. I said, hey, you hungry? He goes, yeah. I said, what do you want? He says, pizza. So I picked up a large pizza, Roger. Mike's heard this story before. And I go over to Pat's house, and he started eating pizza. And I'm thinking, well... He's going to get full, and I'll have at least a slice. No. He ate an entire large pizza loaded. That guy could eat. Well, the, the Moody Boys like crazy. The Moody Boys are known. They can, I mean, if I could look that good at his age, I mean, I'd, oh, they're I'd be chasing women. Handsome right men. I'd, I'd be chasing the women. Well, here's, you know, at the, at, during this show, I said there's, there, you know, a lot of people knew my dad, a lot of people know me, and, right. and there's, not everybody loves us, but I will tell you this much. Everybody loves Pat. Everybody yeah. loves yeah. Pat. Yeah. And, uh, you remember Greg Hansen, Mike? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He, he, every time I'd mention you or Pat to him, he'd say, Purdy men. Purdy, purdy men. They're very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Pretty. <laughs> <laughs> well look well look buddy we got to get you in here um you know we'll pick a day and get you in get your i want to get your band in and i think bob can hook up some mics that we can yeah, uh, let's do it we can do some music and uh, where where's your band plan tell me a little bit about uh upcoming gigs you got anything going this saturday uh we're playing at hawk heaven in uh altoona hog um, heaven we'll be playing nine to midnight there 
Okay. And then December tenth, uh, we're going to be doing a show at Prairie Meadows. Now, 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 is your is your music the new the Outlaws? Is that uh, country country vibe going to it a little bit, or is it rock? We, we do we do a little bit of everything, rock and country. We okay. do we do a little bit of everything. I gotta come. We're gonna have to come out there and maybe tip some beers. Hey, Mike, could you do uh, do me a favor before you come out here with uh, your group to to do a couple songs? One of Roger's favorite songs is called "Little Ducky Duddle." Could you like research that and play uh, yeah. that? Yeah, Mur- Murillo, <laughs> Murillo, you've been good so far. I, we got to take Dave back to the group home after this. But, yeah, he love yeah. it. Yeah, but no, we want to get you on back out here and and. Uh, uh, do that. So, so do you guys have a website? Uh, we have a Facebook page, uh, Michael D. and the Outlaws page. Great. Okay, we want to tell our people check that out. Go see these guys because obviously, look at the video uh, to everybody listening today and uh, uh, click on it. You'll be impressed, and I'm sure if, if it's that good, uh, the live show's even better. I bet. That's hey, right. Mike, thanks a lot for being with us, brother, and um, happy, healthy retirement in the near future when you pull the plug because you certainly deserve it. Well, I appreciate it. January, I got three more years, so I'm looking forward to it. All right, thank brother. You. Thanks a lot, Mike. We'll, we'll let you go, buddy. Bye. All right. Thank you guys very much. All right. See ya. Love me, Mike Moody. Love me some Mike Moody. I love him. I'm. Uh, we got to get him back on. Oh, he'll Absolutely. be on. He's Absolutely. good. He's a good. He's a good guy. You know, the 99.9 percent of all police officers are. So he's he's certainly in that category. And you know what? I'll tell you what. The citizens ought to be. Tickled to death, they got three more years of this guy because he does a hell of a job. And uh, yep, and he's and you know, there's a different breed of cat, younger folks coming into the law enforcement profession that they just they're just not the same. Not that they're not good at what they do. They just they're the old school folks just have a little little more charisma to them. Well, David, that wraps up another edition of Cop Talk. Yeah. I thought we had a good show, Laura. Fabulous. Great, great job. Great, great having job. her on. Great having. Michael we'll have her on. back. We'll have her back. That's right. Uh, we. Tried some new improvising things yeah, today with Michael. <laughs> Check out our Facebook yeah. page, folks, because I'm going to post a picture of how we interviewed Mike today, and yeah. you're going to get a kick out of this. Yeah, just keep uh, in mind illness and the flu. We improvise. Yeah, we got to do what we got to do. Mm-hmm. I want to remind everybody, stay safe, vigilant, and uh, use your common sense. Vote for uh, your common sense candidates. Yep. Keep us in mind. Uh, we got some, uh, you know, next couple shows coming up. We got some more great interviews coming, and uh, it'll be exciting. So. Yep. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, brother. All right, buddy. See you. You've been listening to Cop Talk USA with your hosts, Marillo and French.